Hello and welcome to the Retail Rundown podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hare. Joining the show today is Carl Haller. Carl is a partner at the IBM Consumer Center of Competency, where he leads a team of industry experts who develop transformational solutions and programs for leading retailers and CPGs across the globe. And before becoming a partner at IBM, Carl was a retail executive for flagship brands such as Brooks Brothers and The Limited. Welcome back to the show, Carl. Thanks, Julia. It's great to be back. It's nice to be back on the show. And uh, and it was great to finally meet you in person at NRF this year. Likewise, you guys had a, an amazing setup with the IBM booth, and it was good to chat about some of the stuff we're going to chat about today, actually, which is sustainability, top of mind for many of our listeners and the retail executives out there. And you were one of four main researchers on this brand new study that came out in partnership with IBM and NRF. And super excited to pick your brain today on some of those findings. Let's set the stage a little bit for those of you listening. So if you think about consumers, they've been through the ringer over the last two years, but overall, we note they're resilient. They've found new and creative ways to adapt to some cases, extreme circumstances, and they expect brands to do the same, to be adaptable. And at least that's what this new consumer study has found that Carl's going to tell us a little bit about. I'd like you to just introduce the study to our listeners really quick. Sure. Thanks, Julia. So a small part of IBM that a lot of people aren't always aware of is our Institute for Business Value. And this is a thought leadership research organization that exists within IBM. My team and I work closely with the IBV, which is what we call it. And we go out and survey industry executives and consumers on a regular basis. As you mentioned, we recently launched our biannual global study, which we do in conjunction with the National Retail Federation of nearly 20,000 consumers in 28 countries around the world. It's a reasonably unique study in that we ask about shopping behavior. We ask about what drives brand choice and store choice. We ask about sustainability. And unlike many studies, we actually delve into different behaviors and habits at a product category level. Because I think when you're trying to understand consumers' mindset and behavior, it helps to know if you're shopping for clothing, groceries, major appliances, or personal care. I would have to agree. And a lot of the more blanket statements sometimes we make on the show, it's just you have to dive a little bit deeper in retail because it it is so different, especially if I'm shopping for my new washer versus a new dress. So before we dive in a little bit deeper, I mean, you mentioned huge study for emphasis. Again, 20,000 consumers, 28 countries. This is very global. You're talking about brand choice, store choice, sustainability, all things that are top of mind in this biannual study. Can you dive in a little bit? One of the first things you mentioned as I look through the report is hybrid shopping. Is this the same thing as when we're saying omni-channel or connected commerce, or is it a little different? It really depends on what people mean by you know all the different terms. We've been living in what I would call a bifurcated shopping environment for probably the last 20 years. We've had store shopping, and we've had online shopping or digital shopping or e-commerce. What we see now is that consumers are shopping across both. And the hybrid shopping, which is one of the three big themes of our study, along with what we call a purpose-driven consumer, and we'll get into that in a little bit, as well as the continued rise of sustainability. Hybrid shopping is 
the type of shopping that is not solely in store and it is not solely online. So one great example is when you're shopping online, yet you go to the store to pick up an item or you pick it up curbside or you know what's also known as click and collect. On the flip side is when you might be shopping in a store and either you're sitting on a sofa, you're looking at the size and the design of a refrigerator, you're trying on a sweater, but you don't want to take that home with you or maybe they don't have your size. And so you'll get that shipped from you separately. So that's an emerging way consumers shop. And it's actually the primary method of buying for one in four consumers globally. Wow. Okay. One in four consumers globally. And Carl, we make a lot of assumptions sometimes, um, and it varies so much. And because you have the data, is this something that all consumer groups are saying, yes, I do shop like this. It's all hybrid now. Yeah. It's something that's happening across every demographic group. We look a lot at generations. So, you know, we look at baby boomers, Gen X, Uh, millennials and Gen Z. And we find that hybrid shopping exists across all of those segments. Gen Z are actually the age segment that is doing the most hybrid shopping. They're, uh, I believe, 30% primarily buy via hybrid, which marks a bit of a shift. So I think we've seen with our studies and, and other previous studies, an increase in what I'll call digital commerce as you get younger. And we kind of expected to see a continued increase in digital commerce as you get younger. And what we actually saw is that that's true through millennials. But then when you get to the Gen Z consumers who are roughly 18 to 25 right now, maybe 18 to 26, you see that hybrid shopping, they were the consumer segment that was most likely to say, hybrid shopping was their primary way they buy. Interesting. Okay. And I I guess that would align with my expectations a little bit, but 30% is a high number. I mean, one in three shopping trips they make is going to be done in a hybrid manner. So is that across all categories of shopping? Like that included grocery and apparel? Yeah. And that's another great point. So not surprisingly, everything varies the more you break it down. So when you look at product categories. And again, we I mentioned we break into, we look at groceries, we look at personal care, we look at fashion, kind of apparel and footwear, and we look at home goods. You do see different numbers. You do see different data. So in grocery, still just over 60% of consumers primarily buy groceries in store, 20% primarily buy groceries hybrid. On the flip side, in home goods, only 28% primarily buy home goods in store, 40%. So four in 10 consumers primarily buy home goods hybrid. And you know, I think when you start to look at some of the larger home retailers, especially in furniture and big ticket home furnishings, you really see the development of you know, the stores becoming the showrooms. And you're not usually going to walk into a furniture store and walk out with a sofa. So kind of hybrid shopping has always been there, but it's something that's getting more common as we look across all of the categories. I was surprised to see 20% of consumers buying groceries hybrid as, again, this is their 
primary buying method is what we asked them. That was the one I am surprised about, too, because I remember writing a report or an article last year in 2021 saying it it originally was around 4% in a lot of uh, regions of the world. It was still really low. So that's a huge jump. It is. It's a huge jump. And in two years time, it was not impossible to do hybrid grocery shopping pre-pandemic, but it was pretty challenging to do. Most big grocery stores didn't really have a click and collect offer or a buy online, pick up in store offer or a you know shop in store, get it delivered locally offer. It just wasn't available. You know, and when you think about consumer behavior, you know, you go back and look at the rates of adoption of things like ATMs and cell phones and cable television back in the day. And you know, those all took some cases decades. And here we have a pretty massive shift in behavior, you know, just in the past two years. Mm -hmm. And Carl, I'm not going to take your thunder away from this, but this is what really caught, I see studies day in and day out. So genuinely, this is what really caught my eye with this one is what you found with purpose-driven consumers. So I want want you to speak a little bit to that finding because that one was truly surprising to me. Yeah, this was a big trend. And it was something we first identified in the two-year-ago version of this study and uh, as I said, we, we spend a fair amount of time trying to understand why consumers pick the brands that they pick. And we ask a whole host of questions and we do some statistical modeling and some cluster analysis to group people into like categories. And what we found two years ago was this emergence of this group we call the purpose-driven consumer. And it was largely concentrated in the grocery category at that time. Now, the purpose-driven consumer, and and I'll define that, which is consumers who primarily select the brands that they buy and the products that they buy based on how well those products and brands align with the consumer's own personal values, their personal beliefs and personal values. That purpose-driven segment accounts for 44% of all consumers globally. What we would have thought was the dominant group of consumers, which is the group we call the value-driven consumer, is actually now only 37%, I believe, of consumers globally. And that's a huge shift because it flipped. Right. It was the value driven. The value it was uh, last year, they were neck and neck. It was like 40, 40, 41 percent each. And this year it changed. And not only did purpose driven become the largest segment, purpose driven also became pervasive across all product categories where it was much more predominant in grocery two years ago. But it, it wasn't it didn't exist as much in personal care and even less in apparel now across categories. And do you think if we're just giving a quick example? So in grocery, they consumers were more concerned about making sure that their products, you know, were cruelty free and that they, it came from good places like the animals on the farms. Yes. And we do see some correlation of sustainability as one of those things consumers care about as part of their beliefs and their values. It's not the only thing. And certainly the study doesn't say I buy, I select brands only based on sustainability. It says I select brands based on my own personal values. Now, what we see is 
the importance of sustainability as a personal value is increasing. There is some alignment there. But yes, I agree with your example. And the way we looked at it two years ago was that consumers cared a lot more about what they put in their body than what they put on their body, which was kind of how we explained the difference with groceries being very purpose-driven and apparel not. What we're seeing now is consumers are caring about what they put in their body, what they put on their body, and frankly, what they put around their body, if you think about the home segment. Mm -hmm. And you've worn a lot of hats in your career, but as a researcher, if you are just thinking from that lens, a lot of people could argue, oh, the, the pandemic caused a lot of issues with people's personal finances. You know, people lost jobs. There was a lot of challenges. So you might assume that value driven would still either reign more important or about equal or take over because people are just caring about how far their dollar can go. But that's not what's happening. So what do you think is driving that? We do not have actual data on this. So a lot of this has been discussion amongst our team and, you know, you know, anecdotal evidence. I think there there are a handful of things going on. I think when we largely shut down, you know, almost two years ago now, people spent a lot of time with their stuff because you were just at home and you were with your stuff. And so you saw it all the time. And I think a lot of people, especially in the upper third of the income scale, people probably realized they had a lot of, a lot of stuff, probably more than they needed, and they probably didn't care about a fair amount of it. So I think that was one thing that was going on. And I think a lot of us went through um, or a lot of consumers, I would say, my, myself included, you know, went through some level of Marie condoing our lives, where <laughs> right. we thought about what things really gave us pleasure and what we derived value from. And I think a lot of people did some editing. And I think then, you know, that behavior is carrying forward. I think another thing that's happened, you know, as we all shifted a lot toward digital commerce in the depths of the pandemic, when you know most stores were closed, we started realizing the sustainability impact of all of those boxes arriving and stacking up because now they were something we had to deal with. And so I, I do think there was a you know a bit of a psychological nudge of getting people to think about sustainability because they thought they saw things stacking up around them. And at some point, you know, the, the third time you're taking, you know, tying up boxes and taking them to the front of the house or, you know, taking them to the, you know, the room in your apartment, in your apartment complex, you know, where you put those things, you start realizing, oh my gosh, this is happening a lot. You know, th there are a lot of people who are dealing with this. Maybe I should think about how these goods are getting to me and start to have a different consideration of, you know, what my own environmental footprint is. So that was a really great example, Carl. All of those behavioral, more anecdotal examples you gave of how people shifted their mindset a little bit during the pandemic. We have more stuff than we need. We Marie Kondoed our lives. As you said, we saw the boxes stacking up from ordering online so much, and it gave people more time to pause. 
Are there any other things that you wanted to note from the study, something that surprised you or just one of the other big takeaways outside of the purpose-driven consumer taking the reins and the information that you shared on um, the hybrid shopping? Actually, the one thing on sustainability that I won't say it surprised us, but I think it was a very interesting finding is that all the stuff we were talking about, and every study will show this, sustainability is increasingly top of mind. It's much more actively in our decision criteria than it was two years ago. But the thing we found, and and this is true for all consumers, there's often a gap between what we say we'll do and what we actually do. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things we wanted to test out in this study is to see, okay, yeah, every, every consumer says they're more sustainable. Our study showed that the majority of consumers, I think it was 62%, say they'll pay a premium for products that you know have a lower environmental footprint or positive sustainability benefit. And the premium is large. I think it was 70%, which was twice as much as what we found two years ago. So we said, all right, everyone's saying this, yet you know we work with clients every day is it really happening? And what we found is that there is actually what academics refer to as an intention action gap between what they say they'll do and what they actually do. Almost two-thirds of consumers say they're willing to change their buying habits to reduce environmental impact. So that was in the study. Half say they're willing to pay more for sustainable products and brands, yet less than one in three say that sustainable products made up more than half of their last purchase. Yeah. The math isn't adding up. (laughs) Well, right. And that's the thing that's, and you know, and this is that decision we all make when we're in the store. You know, I, I always look at it where like, okay, I'm in the grocery store, I'm picking up the gallon of milk and you know, where I am, I'm in New York city. So milk is just usually about $4 a gallon for the regular milk at the grocery store. And then next to that milk at the grocery store, there's what I would call the fancy milk at the grocery store. And that might be $6 a gallon, maybe $6.50, maybe even $7 a gallon, depending on the brand. That intention action gap and that tension is when you're standing there saying, I'm a good person, I want to be sustainable, but man, another $2.50 for a gallon of milk? That's a lot. <laughs> right. You know, and, and how do you how do you get over that? And so, you know, one, we found that it exists. And two, we asked people, well, what does it take to kind of get you over that hump? And here's where it ties back to the purpose-driven versus value-driven consumer. With the value-driven consumer, again, and, and this is a generalization because everyone makes these trade-offs individually. In general, with the value-driven consumer the sustainable option has to have no trade-offs. Same price, same quality, same selection. You know, not frankly, some value-driven consumers probably don't even want to know if it's sustainable or not. It just has to be the default choice. However, for the purpose-driven consumers, they are much more likely to say they will change their behavior if they have more information about the product. So maybe that is information about well, what makes it sustainable? Maybe it's information about where it came from. Maybe it's a way to show how their purchase, you know, that extra $2 for the gallon of milk goes to 
either help the local community that they're in, that the consumer is in, or maybe it helps the farm community where that came from. Maybe it helps pay a better wage to someone working on that farm. Maybe it means a better condition for the cow. And you can think about this in across all sorts of products. There was a project we did a few years ago for a major coffee company. This was an IBM project where we enabled someone buying a cup of coffee to tip five or 10 cents. I mean, they could tip any amount, but they could tip five or 10 cents, but it would go directly to the grower of the coffee beans. Um, and there was huge uptake on that because when consumers are given, many consumers, when they're given that option and they know, you know, it's not going to line the corporate profits of some really big company, but it's actually going to help someone directly you start to see a lot of consumers taking that option, especially among the purpose-driven consumer. So that's, as we're now working with taking some of the results of this study and starting to work with our clients, we're trying to help them understand their purpose-driven consumers versus their value-driven consumers and how they can use information and what types of information they need to help give those purpose-driven consumers the nudge kind of to make that more sustainable purchase, which we think they want to do. They just need a little bit of help. Yeah. And that nudge, the, hey, here's the information. It's if you want to give the 10 cent tip, it's really small, but it's your choice. And then they can say, okay, I have more information that aligns with my values. I'll change my behavior. I'm going to give more money when I don't have to. Is really interesting because it validates everything that you've found about the purpose-driven consumer and gives a little bit more insight into what that actually looks like in practice and day to day. And I really we could go on and on because I, I wanted to bring up I spoke with someone else from your team about crypto anchors and how that is creating a lot of visibility down the supply chain for retailers um, to get that information you're talking about to the end consumer, uh, which I found fascinating because I think that could be the future, right? We, we might have this access to all products eventually. Yeah. And the thing that we're doing and crypto anchors, you're right, it is a whole separate topic for the listeners. I would say, imagine to be able to trace something you know, at every step of the way without, say, having to scan a normal QR code. You know, the actual, a QR code is in, in a way an anchor that is on a product and that can allow you to scan something and like look something up about it. You know, what we've done is we've uh, taken these to a, you could say a microscopic size, or sometimes it's actually in the product itself. Every product has its own, what I'll call digital footprint. You know, and that might be a chemical composition, that might be a particular uh, formulation, might be a particular scent, might be a particular graphic. And what we're doing is looking at how those things can serve as the anchors so you don't have to add an RFID tag to everything or add QR codes to everything or add a hang tag to everything. The product itself gives you the information you need to do the traceability. It's really interesting stuff and been headed up by uh, IBM Research, which is another you know very interesting part of IBM that a lot of consumers don't know about. So for our listeners, I, I highly recommend you dig a little bit deeper into that. And we'll tell you where to find the report in just a minute. But Carl, I wanted to round out our discussion today. I'm not going to call any names of retailers but there have been some in the past, you know, where they release these big press announcements about the newest sustainability initiative they have. They get a lot of buzz. And then later you find that they're stocking the landfills with, with all of the goods they didn't sell. 
Is this year the one retailers get a little bit more serious on sustainability? Are you seeing that shift from an IBM standpoint? We definitely are. And actually, I would say it's not this year. It started last year. This was one of the things a lot of retailers and brands did during the pandemic is start to dig under the hood of the sustainability pronouncements and you know ESG reports they were putting out and realize that, hey, 2025 and 2030 are rolling around very quickly. And we've made these pronouncements about carbon reductions or about you know, less water or sourcing routes to market, et cetera. And another uh, study we did of executives, we found that you know, everyone has these statements but only about a third of major companies have in place the means to collect the data. And that was something that we've seen a lot of our clients start to take action on now. So I do sense a major shift among the large retailers and the large consumer products companies that we work with in aligning their sustainability and ESG targets into the core of the business, where up until probably last year, I would say sustainability operated in parallel to the business, and it's now being you know embedded into the core of the business. That's that's incredible. Uh, it was a great overview, and I like that you backed that stat up that only thirty percent have the right data in place. So there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of first steps to take uh, or second steps, but eventually, I think we'll all get to the point we were talking about a little bit earlier with everything being incredibly visible down the supply chain to the consumer. Carl, where should listeners go if they would like to download the report that you shared with us today? They can go to our uh, IBM. Institute for Business Value site, which is at ibm.com forward slash IBV. Perfect. And then if anyone wants to get in touch with you, is that cool? Can they add you on LinkedIn? Are you on those platforms? You can come find me on LinkedIn. It's Carl Haller. Carl's with a K. Excellent. And what is, you know, I'm going to steal this from uh, my friend, Chris Ressa. He, I haven't asked this in a while, but just off the cuff, what is one retailer you wish you could bring back to life, one that is no longer around that you miss? Gosh, I, I've worked in retail for a long time. There are a lot of retailers that I wish were still around. One retailer that I would love to see come back is Radio Shack. Radio Shack? <laughs> and why? You know, one is, is I grew up going to Radio Shack as a kid with my dad. And so personally, there's some fond memories of that. And two, one of the things that I find is hard to do today, as a lot of those, you know, small package commodities have moved online, it's hard to go to a local store and find someone who knows what you mean when you say, I need a thingamajiggy. It's about so big, you know, it plugs into the back panel of my whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's hard to do. You can't do that on chat. You can't do it on search. I'd say the same about local hardware stores that are actually staffed by someone knowledgeable about home repair, um, where you can go in and talk to them about the particular problem that you have. Those stores are, are valuable in communities. And you know they serve they serve a great purpose. You know the economics have been a challenge for stores like that, but I think the community benefit and the cultural benefit 
is positive. Well, that was a well-rounded answer. At first, I was surprised you said Radio Shack, but considering the nostalgia aspect and the community that it helped to bring, I mean, it is comparable to like a local Ace Hardware or something like that when it comes to your tech needs. So I can see your point of view. Shout out to Radio Shack if anyone listening used to work there. <laughs> yes, All right. I guarantee I'm the only person you're going to ask that who <laughs> probably would say Radio Shack. <laughs> I like it. My brother actually worked there. It was one of his first jobs. But it was great to have you on the show today, Carl, and I hope to have you on again. You were full of insight. I mean, I, I don't I can't speak for everyone, but personally, I love when someone comes and backs up everything they're saying with data. I just feel like it packs a punch to the conversation. So really appreciated your time today. Thank you. It was great to be on. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.